there is something I would like to say in beginning tonight or starting this evening. If you take time, sometimes when you study the Bible, you, you look at it from context. Contextual studies or historical studies or whatever. But if you look at Ephesians 6, like I told us before, this has nothing actually to do with maybe what we have always believed to mean powers and things like that. It's, it's actually uh, a picture of how you can handle yourself as a believer. Now, if you take time to study the Ephesians 6, which I think everyone, everybody knows, you find that it starts with the issue of family. How many of you can remember that? Children, is that okay? Husband, wife. Did you get that? Good. Then you run down to the issue of armor of God. So the question is, reasonably if you want to be careful in studying the word, one of the centers for the real warfare that we're in is the family. In other words, you may not agree with me, but the point is these armors we're looking at here can assist everyone that makes up the family to stand their position in relation to the laws and the will of God. Children will know what to do. Wives will know what to do. Husbands will know what to do. So the warfare is actually how to maintain our role and avoid distractions from not staying on the liberty. Because we're going to find out much later. It talks about after you finish fighting, you should stand. Stand what? You stand in the liberty that the Lord has given unto you. Now, the liberty he gave to you directly connected to the instruction he gave to you as to what you should do. In obedience in Christ is when you can receive liberty from Christ. Amen. Okay, however, let's proceed tonight. But I want you to keep this at the back of your mind because I'm probably making reference to it again. And now, why do we need the armor of God? Uh, look at Ephesians. Let's go down to Ephesians 6 and verse number 13. And the word says, Take unto you. Only this. I'm going to back it. Since there is no camera, let me back it. I'm hot. Okay. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand. Amen? Amen. To stand in the evil day and having done all to stand. One thing is this. What evil day is it referring to? Okay. We may say, well, it has to do with maybe sometimes, because anytime you talk about evil day, a man will go to the issue of the last days and all of those stuff. There is nothing wrong with that. You can believe it as well in that context. But evil day is any day that a temptation comes to you not to be able to stand for what God says. That's an evil day. It didn't say last days. Did you get that? It didn't say last days. This is at the end of the world. It's an evil day. There is always an evil day. Okay. Now you can catch this when the Lord says, when you pray, pray. Deliver us from evil. Is that okay? Deliver us from evil has to do with an evil day that we probably have to occur. You know? And same thing you find that Jesus was telling the disciples to pray so that they don't fall into temptation. What temptation was he talking about? The temptation of denying Jesus. It's not temptation of women or money. Did you get this? Say you pray for yourself. Because when they strike me now, the sheep will scatter. And you are going to fall into temptation. And remember, even in the book of Luke, Jesus told Peter 
The devil have decided to sieve you as wheat, but I'll pray for you. Remember that? So what was he sieving? The little James said, I came, you are a disciple. And he said, no, that is what Jesus was saying. You better pray and listen. <laughs> I believe this. I believe this. If Jesus hadn't prayed for Peter, Peter wouldn't have repented. Do you know why? Because it is the same sin that Peter and Judas committed. Both of them denied Jesus. But the difference is, Jesus prayed for Peter. And so he had grace to repent of his denying the Lord. Can you get the picture here? So that's what an evil day really means. So every one of you gets to an evil day. In relation to your decision, and maintaining your position as God has ordained it, just like I said, even in the family. How are you going to be standing to face the situation of who your parents are and the Bible says obey your parents? Then there comes an evil day. Why? It becomes a difficulty for you to say, how can I continue to obey this man? How can I continue to obey this mother? Or something like that. And then the wife is the same thing. An evil day comes where you begin to see that the authority that God has placed over you, you no longer want to stand for it. Or an evil day comes where, where you are supposed to love your wife passionately, you find that you are developing hatred in your heart. It's an evil day. Amen? He said, the problem is, when we read this scripture sometimes, we, we kind of project them into, but you see, the world is given to us for a daily living. That's why it talks about daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. God intends us to live our lives on a daily basis based on the world. Based on the world. Amen? Amen. So the, the day of temptation is the evil day. When you are voluntarily assorted and to stand in the liberty you are in, you have been set free in Christ. In other words, how do you get the liberty to be set free in Christ? Anyway, let me look at the scripture here. Go to Galatians chapter 5. Uh, Galatians 5, let's look at verse 1. Galatians 5, let's look at verse 1. Praise God. Verse 1 says, Stand for therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ had made us free. And be not entangled again with the yokes of bondage. Amen? Now, if you go down to Galatians 2, verse 4, you understand why Paul is saying this in Galatians 5. Galatians 2, 4 says, And that because of the false brethren, on our ways brought in, who came in privately to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into what? Into bondage. In other words, We've come to believe, as citizens of the kingdom, there are things which the Lord has instructed us to walk with and to live by. But now we have some people coming in to tell us we can't go that way. By implication, it's like the children of Israel coming out of Egypt and they are finding reason to go back to Egypt. Let you get this now. So, here, the Bible is telling that when people come to say some things to you, give you certain counsel that goes contrary to God's mind for you, they are just like what we call the first brethren. Now, all this amos you're going to begin to acquire, which basically you do have now, are the things you are supposed to use now to be able to defend your ground. What does that mean? You should be able to stand on those words to get those first things out of your mind to still stand for the liberty that Christ has given unto you. Now, the liberty he gave to you is because you believe into him. Amen? Because you believe into him, and you because you can live by what he says, you have liberty. That is just what it means. Hallelujah. So, obedience to what he says is what guarantees our what? Our liberty. That's what he says. Now, he says, so brethren came. Now, mind you, the brethren that came to the church in Galatia, they were brethren. They were not unbelievers. Is that okay? And don't you forget this. The epistles are letters. And very important you understand what I'm about to say. When somebody writes a letter to you, it has your interest in mind. It has a relationship with you. And it also communicates his mind to you. Now, your response to what he says 
we either determine that the relationship is maintained or is broken. Okay. So when, when we look at the epistles, they are letters written to the churches. That means they are letters written to us. So our response to the letters determine our union with the one who wrote the letters. In this case, it's not just the apostle, but it's Christ himself. So if we follow the instructions in the letters to us, we have liberty because he has us in mind in writing the letters. And so this is the way I want you to live your life on a daily basis. So it's not a future thing. It's a letter to a living church that Christ expects that they have to live by the dictate of the letters he has written. Am I communicating? Good. So I want you to understand. Now back to Ephesians 6. And let's look at verse 11. So that... Uh, I'm just going to be mentioning about just four things today, but there are, they are just going to be like keys that can enable you to open up as to what uh, you need this warfare, I mean, this armor is for. I'm going to give about four things why you need the armor. So now, Ephesians 6 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wives of the devil. Okay? The word wise, like I said before, means words, tricks. Actually, it stands for the methods of the devil, the different streams, the plans, the schemes, the machinations, which he uses to deceive, to entrap your enslave, and you ruin the souls of men. That is what the Amon is all about for. Huh? So, basically, maybe as we go on, you see, there are some of these armors which are protective. If you study the whole armor, as well as if you go by the Roman soldiers, if they dress in their armor, we have the protective armors and we have the offensive armors. Is that okay? The sword is offensive. The shield is protective. Did you get that? So, it's basically in two, in two ways. The protective parts of the armors and the offensive parts of the armors. Now, I will want to deal with that yet. But now, if you look at this, you just see precisely the wise have to do with the methods of the devil that he uses to deceive you so that you are ruined. So all the armor you're looking for is something that can enable you to determine when a trick is being played on you. In fact, the greatest weapon of the devil, which I also believe he uses, thank you, Father, he uses even men to achieve is simply nothing but deception. Nothing but deception. It just works in your mind that deceives you. And then you get into whatever problem you can get into. Can you see what Balaam did to the children of Israel? He tried to prophesy, couldn't prophesy. What did he tell them to do? Just get them into our fornication with other nations. And that will just anger God. And So it's like they destroy themselves. <laughs> it's so easy. And did you get that? It just makes them to this. You know, give them a spirit of deception and they destroy themselves because they know that we anger God and they destroy them. He couldn't prophesy against them. Every word he brought forth was a blessing. But by the time he could deceive them to get into that relationship that God didn't want, they destroyed themselves. Did you get what I'm talking about? That is the power of the devil. So the devil doesn't really have anything so strong. That is why the whole armor is what you need to be able to design you know, word of knowledge, whatever as the case may be, to know when the devil is trying to play on you, and then you'll be able to get back to yourself again. You have to stand, that's what we're saying. Okay, let me look at a few things tonight as we make progress on this. Can we turn to Deuteronomy? The first thing I want you to see as to why you need the armor is some areas which have to do with the tricks of the devil that he plays on you. And the first one I want to mention tonight is the word discouragement. Discouragement. So if you look at Ephesians, I mean uh, Deuteronomy 25, uh, 17 down to 18, the Bible says, Remember what Amalek did unto, the, unto thee by the way, when you came forth out of Egypt, how he met thee by the way, and smote the hindermost of thee, even now that were feeble behind thee, when thou wast faint and weary, and he feared not God. You were faint, you were wearied, 
and then he had advantage over you. Now, you see, it, this is like a journey. Life is of Christianity is life is like a journey. Is that okay? Now, here were the people coming out of Egypt, and the Bible tells us they got to a certain place. Some of them were weak, they were weary by implication. They come to the place of discouragement. It's just like some of them crying. What, what use is this journey all about? Hallelujah. What, what use is this journey all about? I mean, you know how many times they went to Moses? Would have been better would die in Egypt than bringing us down to the wilderness here. Discouragement. Now, what followed that? The next thing that happened was the America were to trap those people who were discouraged, who could not follow. Among these people, the cloud of glory was no longer there because when the cloud moves and they couldn't go because they were discouraged, they were feeble, they were weak, the covering was no longer there. The Amalekites were able to get them. Hallelujah. So this is one thing about life. Sometimes you come to a place where you become discouraged. It could be about your marriage, it could be about your business, it could be about your fellowship. It could be anything, you get discouraged. But now you, don't, you haven't been able to come to find out the mind of God for the situation. Now that is the devil playing on you already. He wants to take advantage of your life. Just like these people died out, it becomes and it comes a place where you could not continue the journey because you're becoming weary. Now, those who could not follow on the cloud, the Amalekites got hold of them. That means you die out of your vision sometimes by reason of discouragement. And the devil has just taken hold of you. That's why you need the armor of God. Amen? That's why you need the armor of God. Discouragement. Praise God. You see? So you just keep moving. And uh, so as we go on, you'll be able to see that you have to be able to avoid the Amalekites coming after you because you're going to hold on your shield of faith, you're going to be strong, your feet properly shod, with the boots and all of that. You keep marching like a soldier. You just have to get to the finish, whatever it is. We can allow discouragement to stop us in the Christian race, in the Christian walk. Whatever it is, we can't allow discouragement to stop us. We must understand that discouragement is such a terrible, terrible attack that can develop let's say from the devil, but from our emotions, by reason of circumstances. We may blame not the devil, but it's actually our emotions that are playing out on us. Is that okay? And you know, we need the hammers, and we need to keep praying to the Father about this, because you find that even Paul, the Bible says he was despaired of life. What that means is he was even planning suicide. When he said, well, despair of life means I don't feel I live it anymore. Is that okay? I mean, that is apostle power with all of his mind. Because, see, we are in the flesh. We are human. And second sense can just bring us to this state. That's why we need help from God all the time. Amen? Are you still there with me? Okay. All right. So... Is life treating you bad? Is there anything? Just hold on to faith. There is a liberty that Christ has given unto us. And there is freedom he has bought for us. Amen? Okay. Now, look at Hebrews. Hebrews 12. Let me show you something again. Uh, Hebrews 12, verse number 12 and 13. Uh, Hebrews 12, 12 and 13. One man get discouraged. Sometimes you're watching films and you see things happening. When they're discouraged, they like walking to the river. Like <laughs> Have you noticed that? They like walking to the forest. They like walking to all kinds of places. They just want an isolation. And the more you get isolated, sometimes the more you get entangled in your own thoughts that will bring you to a quicker realm of destruction. Is that okay? That's true. Okay, Hebrews 12. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down at the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be, bought, be torn out of the way, but let the other be healed. Can you see that? The lame, when you're discouraged, you can't walk anymore. Like it happened to the uh, people that the America took on there. Is that okay? 
Now, basically, this scripture is taken from Isaiah 53. Paul's kind of speaking from Isaiah 53, verse number 3. Strengthen ye the weak hands, and confirm the feeble news. Say to them that of a fearful heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, even God with a recompense. He will come and save you. This is exactly what Paul was quoting in Hebrews 12. By implication, he's saying, don't be discouraged. God is always present to assist you. He will come and save you. Hallelujah. So, you should be able to resist. When discouragement is coming to you, just know that the devil is playing a trick upon your life. And it gradually takes you to the place, the precipice, where you want to jump down. And I remember counseling with a sister in Germany the other time and say, hey, David, listen to me. I, I don't feel like living anymore. I feel like jumping from the, I'm upstairs about first to rebuild it. So I feel like jumping down. I said, okay, tell me why you want to jump down. So I can imagine my daughter is not obeying me. Just because the daughter doesn't obey her, she wants to jump down. <laughs> I mean, it's as bad as that. You know, it's, it's running down my reputation. She's my only girl. Now, she can't even believe I'm a believer. I said, oh, is that why you want to jump down? You see, it takes you very close, and sometimes when you come to that place, you think you can jump down and still be saved. <laughs> but by the time you come down, it's your pieces that are going to be, I mean, that is just it, that you said the devil made him. It's your emotions. You overreacted, overresponded to circumstances around you. Amen? Which you can control. You have the power to control it. Anytime certain emotions are rising within you, you should be able to know this might be a trick of the devil coming into my life. Amen? Okay, and the next thing I want to show with us is doubtful thoughts. Doubtful thoughts. And I'm looking at Romans 14, verse 1. Doubtful thoughts. Praise God. In that is weak in the faith, receive ye. But not to doubtful disputations. For believe that he may eat all things, and all that we speak, and eat all the herbs. What I mean is not discriminating them by their inward thoughts. Doubtful disputations. I wish I can explain this properly to you. Praise God. Listen. Thoughts are so powerful that almost every man's life is revolving and saying that around thoughts. There is no action you take today that is not rooted in thoughts. It could be premeditated. It could be that which is just injected to you by the things you hear. You build on it and you respond to it. And you see, picture this. In the Garden of Eden, the devil would call a serpent. Remember that? And then he became a devil, but originally it was called serpent. Is that okay? Serpent must be a very small thing. Become a devil, become a beast. In Revelation, he became a dragon and a beast. Is that okay? That a little serpent grew. So, what does that mean? In my mind, it's this. It was one serpent that entered into one man, first of all, one woman, from that woman to one man, from that one man to Cain. You see, the serpent is growing. <laughs> now it's filled the whole world, it has become a beast, not just a dragon. A whole system has bought into the same thoughts that was injected in the garden. That is a growth process. So we give the devil the power. We expand this empire. Now, reverse that. It simply also means you can expand the one Jesus that was born, that simple spirit of Christ that was injected into Mary, that came forth as his son, can become a mighty body upon the face of the earth 
but it's not as many as receive his thoughts. Does that make sense to you? Good. So thoughts are very powerful. Now, when, when you begin to doubt things, it leads to argument. And anytime you argue over an issue, you are losing a stronghold that's supposed to take you into reality. Now, in the case of Romans 14 is this. One of the things that doubtful disputation does to us is it's a praise relationship. Okay. Um, yeah, it's like a brother who comes to fellowship. And I want to go this way. He's putting on trousers. Some of us don't like that. And then we're going to our lives. Are you done with me? But here, the person is a believer. But he's putting something you feel is not good. Now you go into argument. Now the person is holding on his ground. I like this. You say, no, this is not good. What is happening? Both of you are straining yourselves. So thought patterns based on systems suppress the body. Now, instead of what you call unity in the faith, there is not division in the faith because of our belief systems. So, Paul is saying here, listen to me, you may be a vegetarian, the other man may be eating meat. Don't let that be an issue. Maintain the faith. Are you listening to me now? This is very critical. We need to understand certain things from the world, and we need to see how the devil can truly play upon our lives and it's even playing upon the church. And bringing separation and bringing division. This thing I'm talking about doesn't just end the church. It also affects marriages. That's for disputation. For instance, there was a story of a husband and wife traveling from Lagos to Ilori some time ago. And they got to a place and the woman said they need to buy another towel for the home. And this woman likes red towel and the husband likes yellow and the woman said we have to buy red the man said no let's buy yellow <laughs> and trouble busted and don't forget this they were driving on the road now until they left far off before they go to lorry they won't talk to each other anymore because of color not just the towel now is color because they agreed to buy towel, for, for, for example. There's unity, there's agreement in buying the towel. But there is no agreement on color. Did you get this? That thing almost rocked the marriage. It took an intervention of a minister of going to say, okay, okay, okay. Now, thank God you got home safely. Because somebody will have decided, if it is no yellow towel, I'm no longer traveling. Okay, if now you got home safely. What happened is this. You buy yellow now. After a while, you buy red. <laughs> so the two colors are in the house. And I'm just telling you of the very simple things that can break relationship. Doubtful disputations. Amen? Are we together? Uh, Somebody is thinking, it's like it's happening in my family. God will help you. Very little things can break relationship. Very little thing can separate us even within the body of Christ. I remember some time ago, before I started ministry, I, I was fasting. And because I have to minister in a place where they were believing Sabbath worship. And I said, no, God, I'm not going. He said, but you have to go. I said, God, I'm not going there because they worship on the Sabbath. And uh, I went into fasting. I was resisting. I said, I'm not going. And literally, a hand grew from the wall on the third day of my fast. I was just lying down on my side, very weak. A hand just came out from the wall with a book, The Great Controversy by Ellen G. White. Some of you must have seen that book. It was a very powerful, big volume book. Ellen G. White, a woman wrote it. She's Sabbatarian. The book just came out from the wall on my face. It went back, I came back, and a voice came. My sons are separating themselves because of the doctrine of Sabbath. Straight word at a boy, 
I have no option. I said, Lord, I'm sorry, I will go. That's how I finally accepted to go there. You see, to God, if they don't have understanding, it's not an issue. But to me, it was a big issue. Why would I go and worship on the Sabbath day? But understanding tells me God is much more concerned about the day you worship. Are you following what I'm talking about? This is a trick of the devil. It can walk in the house, it can walk in families, it can walk in churches, and it works even in the body of Christ. Is that okay? All right. Okay. Let's move on. <clears throat> Excuse me. So here I'm trying to say, do not reject any, any from your Christian communion because of their particular sentiment on things which are in themselves indifferent. Don't reject people because of their own sentiment. Are you there with me? Don't reject people because of their own sentiment. It's very crucial. Let me explain something. Thank you, Father. Hear me this. If you study the scripture very well, there, is a, there was a king called Behadad. Behadad was not a Christian. But Elisha went and ministered to the man. Now to you, that was supposed not to have been because the person is not a believer. Are you there? Even the king of Assyria, who was ministered to by Elisha himself, was not a believer. Now, if like, can you see what sentiment can do? This is what almost stopped, in fact, it did stop Peter from going to Colinius. Did you get that? Good. But that could not cross the mind of Elisha. And do you know, take time to study the word. Maybe sometime i make you to see that. The king of Assyria and Ben-Hadi, they were calling Elisha father. By implication, they were acknowledging the God of Elisha. But they were not Jewish people. Why? Because this doubtful disputation was not in the mind of Elisha when he was doing ministry. If we can come to the place to understand that the whole universe belongs to God, and every soul in the universe belongs to God, then we don't have to bring sentiment into our receiving people when they come to us. Am I making a point there? Very important. So this is one of the warfares that we're into. The thought pattern, the sentiment, the peculiarities of certain atmosphere that we have created and we feel nobody can break those barriers. Therefore, we can't accept them if we find them on that arm on the other side. No. That's a trick of the devil to continuously separate the body. So I say Paul is simply letting us have a new spirit towards those who don't seem to know as much as we do and besides receive a believer to your fellowship without asking questions that may be of personal opinion that can generate disputes. Am I communicating? We should be more of the spirit of receiving than despising. And this is very challenging. Very challenging because we have already built strongholds. Did you get that? Very challenging. Because we have already built strongholds. How can we accept this? It's difficult. But the key thing is we should begin to find out whether these people really have the spirit of Christ. What unites us to the spirit, not necessarily codes of conduct in that sense. Unity of the spirit, not unity of method of worship. Are we together? And that is why, maybe I'm going to take time to see the prophetic, I shared in South Africa, the prophetic dimension of evangelism is so crucial that you find that these people, they cross their own territory to evangelize other nations through prophetic conference. So I say the prophetic to be something that actually need to go out of the church to the kings, to the governors. And this is what brings them in. Not just tracts. Those are prophetic witnessing. Not just distributing tracts. Those people will not read your tracts. <laughs> but if you give them a word, if you give a governor a word from thus said the Lord, and it's accurate, he will all know you. Even if he won't come to your church, he will visit you in the night. <laughs> you get what I'm saying now? But your mind must go out of the fact that this man is just a governor, this man is a king, therefore I can't go to him or he can't to my fellowship. You must break that barrier. You must take it out of your mind. Do you understand what I'm talking about? Praise God. Okay. Uh, maybe we'll find time to deal with some of that. Second thing I want to talk about is of the third thing now. The third, eh? Self-will. Self-will. Hebrews 10. 
Hebrews 10. Part of the things you need to fight against, self-will. Hebrews 10, 26. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sins. Amen? If we sin willfully, self-will, willfully. Then if we go to Colossians 2, and 20 to 23. And it said, Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why as though living in the world are ye subject to ordinances, which are all to perish with his using, after the commandments and doctrines of men? Christians have indeed a show of wisdom in will worship. Will worship is what I want you to know there. And humility and neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh will worship in other words there is a worship that god does not institute does not validate but we go into it because of self-will are you listening to me let me give you another make your typical example in this fellowship there was a time uh a sister was pregnant here and we and then the Lord spoke to me and said, you need to go and pray. Call the church and pray. And to avert a problem that was going to come because of the sister. And so we, I called a meeting, which was a Friday meeting. And incidentally, it became the first Friday. It was the first Friday of that particular month. Is that okay? And so we prayed. After that, we came the next month again, first Friday. After that, first Friday. After that, first Friday. It became a tradition. And the Lord called me and said, I didn't say do first Friday as a custom. I ask you to pray on that particular day because of the incident that was supposed to happen. And that's why I have to tell the church, hey, it was not a doctrine here. Are you listening to me? Now, if I have to continue with that, it becomes self-will. Do you follow what I'm talking about now? It becomes self-will. Self-will in worship. Will worship. That's you worshiping in your own will, not because God instructed you to do what you're doing. These are battles we need to fight. Especially if it's producing results. God may not want it, but it's giving you results. Why and how are you going to stop it? It's a major battle that we need to fight. Amen? I was speaking in South Africa and giving them an example. They say, You're talking about witnessing. How many of you want to have a crusade? Major crusade. Where people are coming in, signs and wonders are happening, even unbelievers are giving their life. The strongest man, like Philip in Samaria, huh? the sorcerer gave his life because of that message. And God asked him to leave the whole of that revival and go and meet one man in the desert, the eunuch. How many of you want to do that? Because that was a great revival. The whole of Samaria was coming to Philip. Are you getting this? In the midst of that revival, God said, Philip, there's a eunuch that I want you to go and talk to. The eunuch of Ethiopia. You go now to the wilderness and you have to leave the whole of that crusade. Honestly, let's be honest. If we think we need to work for God, that is a big sacrifice to make. Who wants to leave such a congregation, such a revival, and you go to meet one man? And even after meeting this one man, the Lord also asked him to live there. In fact, the Spirit took him away. That is where you come to understand that the Bible says, those that are born of the Spirit are like the wind. You can't determine which way they go. And until we come to that level in our worship, we are doing will service. Amen. And the greatest temptation is if the thing is producing results, amen, you can't, you know, no, 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 it's not easy. To live? No way. Praise God. So, self-will. So, one of the things we need to really, really fight against. And uh, God will give us grace in the name of Jesus Christ. All these things I'm saying, they're just going to help you to look into some other areas. I'm not, that's why I'm giving just four or five points. Just keys to open you up to see why we need this armor of God. Hallelujah. 
Now, the next thing I want to say is pride stroke presumptuousness. Pride stroke presumptuousness. Are this number four or number five now? Number five. Four? Oh, okay, that's fine. That's okay. Number four. Uh, I'm joining these two instead of separating them. Pride and presumptuousness. You need the armor of God to be able to fight this. And it's very dangerous and delicate as well. First Peter 5, verse number 5. First Peter 5, verse number 5, the Bible says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Ye, all of you, be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility, for God resisted the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Pride. Hallelujah. Ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Is this still portable and practicable today within the body of Christ? After all, we all have the Holy Spirit. After all, we all can speak in tongues. Amen? Yeah. We take decisions. We don't consult elders. And even if we do, and they give us their opinion, we don't. You can understand what happened to Rehoboam. Amen. He lost the kingdom because of pride. Why? Because he related and neglected, he neglected the counsel of the elders and went for younger men. Pride. And almost everybody has this. Husbands have it. Wives have it. Children have it. You know? Sometimes your husband is talking and you are also talking. <laughs> you may not know that it's just a little pride that is walking behind the scene. You don't feel like, hey, can this man just run me down like that? You think I'm nothing? And you see women talking, you think I'm a fool? No, you are not a fool. <laughs> but that could be pride walking unknown to you. Most times it's most more reasonable your husband is talking, just keep quiet. Huh? Just keep quiet. You may have your opportunity of talking. If I prefer women when they reason along, then, you know, throwing the whole thing down. And I do not intend also that man imposes anything. But there must be a balancing of these things. Let's not exercise our pride all the time. Whether we be men or women, even no matter the position we seem to occupy. Amen? Pride is a dangerous thing before God. One thing that pride, first of all, will do to you, it removes grace from your life. You, lose, you, you begin to lose grace first. Because when God doesn't give it, you can get it. No man receives anything except it is given to him from above. So the first thing you lose when you walk in pride is grace. It's a major area of warfare. You see, all this thing I'm saying, they help you more than looking for some arrows that are flying somewhere. You think somebody's shooting through your windows or whatever. No, 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 no. This thing help you more. You give grace to the humble. Is that all right? Praise the Lord. Okay, so take note of that. Now I would like us to read something from Numbers chapter 15. Numbers 15. I would like you to watch this thing because they're very... There are things that are salient. They are just there. <laughs> when they pop up, they're just like virus on the computer. They just shoot out when you least expect them. Because they are resident. So you just be asking God for grace all the time. Amen? Are we here? So I want you to see where the battle really lies instead of just looking outside and looking at some people. No. The trouble is within. The war is within. The real fire that is burning is within the house. Okay? Hallelujah. Numbers 15. You know, it's only pride that makes a man never to listen to the woman when he's talking. Even when what he's saying is reasonable. It's pride. Amen? <laughs> okay, Numbers 15, verse 29 to 30. I said pride and presumptuousness. You shall have one 
love for him that sinned through ignorance, but for him that is born among the children of Israel and for the stranger that journeyeth among them on law. But the soul that doeth out presumptuously, whether he be born in the land or a stranger, the same reproacheth the Lord. And that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Amen. The word presumptuously in the Hebrew that means with high hand. Which is actually a defiance against the word of God. When you presume to do what God have not instructed. In other words, for us not to live in presumptuousness, we can align ourselves with what God says. Hallelujah. We can't go when he has not asked us to go. You may be living in presumptuousness. Amen? And one thing that happened here, he said, the soul shall be cut off from among his people. In other words, you will lose atonement. Because as the journey was on, they were all atoned for. Guarantees their justification. Is that okay? So here he's saying, if anybody begins to live in a presumption state, I will cut him off. Protection, covering, all of those things that you were supposed to have because you are born again, you lose them because of a presumptuous life. Presumptuousness makes you to act sometimes ahead, if I may use the word, of that which is ordained and instructed by the leadership of a local assembly. You may presume to know and you may act without due regard and consultation to leadership. Hallelujah. Are we there? And so you find that even in homes it's the same thing. Sometimes I want to believe that presumptuousness is, is the same thing like when you assume certain things and they are not so. Towards your partner. Towards members of a local assembly. You can assume things that are not true. And you want to act because of those assumptions. You are presuming those things to be so and they are not so. There is nothing to validate or prove what you believe to be what it is. Here the word proves what you should believe and what you should work on. Are we together? So I'm trying to please plead with us. We're in a season. I believe, especially in this local assembly, in this tribe, we're in a season where God is going to be speaking expressly for us to take actions for the things we do. Are we there? And it's going to come into your home as well. Hallelujah. It's going to come into your home as well. I was just speaking to myself this morning. I spoke to my wife. You know, all through the nights, I see generals coming to me and talking to me and giving me instructions and telling me this is this. When I was in this place, that was my state. When I come here, this is my state. Be patient. Generous that have gone into glory. Okay. You just have to come to the place where it's not going to be presumptuous living. You have to come to the place of facts as God presents them to you. Is that okay? It's a major battle not to go ahead doing things that God has not instructed that should be done. That's a presumptuous life. He said, I'll cut you off. Okay. Let's move on just a little bit. Uh, finally, I want to speak on unbelief and then we can close for tonight. That should be number five. Am I right? Okay. Unbelief. Hebrews 3 verse number 13. Praise God. Hebrews 3.13 Take it, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. What I fear most is the word evil. 
Unbelief is termed evil. In departing from the living God. An evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. So unbelief leads you back to where you are coming from. Instead of being alive continually through faith in the living God. That's what unbelief does. Now watch this. Unbelief is not necessarily the man that is outside the faith. Because the scripture here was basically meant for those who have already believed. So the unbelief thing is that we takes you from what you have ever believed and shift you from living faith in God into something else entirely. God caused that evil. Now, so what do you need the armor for? It's to guide you when you're coming to the place of this state of what? Unbelief. Am I still believing God in this that I'm about to do? Am I still trusting God? Now, the living God means you have to continue to live with the one that lives. That's my own con con conclusion. If it takes you away from the living God, it means the faith you have should be the faith of the living God. That means on a continuous basis, you have to be alive to the living God. Hallelujah. And this prevents you from entering your rest in God. Like we can see in the book of Hebrews 3 verse 9. So we see that they could not enter in because of what? Unbelief. By implication. There are promises that God may have made for you and to you. That they have not come to materialization. It's not enough evidence that they will not come to be. But unbelief. Now, when those promises come to fruition, that is your rest. The rest in God is a place God you to come into, for instance. The rest of the children of Israel was Canaan. So the promises of God for your life brings you to your rest. But unbelief can shut you out that you won't be able to enter into your rest. And that's a major warfare that you are into. The question is, with your second sense now, can you still believe God? Do you still believe he's alive? Are you sure he's still the living God? Not just God, but the living God. That means he has life. <laughs> Are you still sure the God you're serving is still the one that is alive? Unbelief shut you out from following God continuously. That's, that's one of the battles you need to fight. Amen? That's one of the things that you need the armor of God for. You don't need it for anybody outside. You need it for yourself. Basically, Every bit of the whole piece of armor we're going to be discussing is for your own use. Is that okay? It's just for your own use. You need to be able to come to that place where, you know, this is God and I'm going to be all through with God. And so anything that can make you stand in liberty that Christ has purchased is what we're talking about. Now the armor of God are the equipment you need to be able to stand in the freedom that Christ has bought for you. God bless you.